A vision without execution is just a dream. Welcome to Transformative Experts with Chris Elias. Like the show title says, Chris speaks with transformative experts and business leaders who share their successes, failures, and leadership tips that will help you transform your business into a success story. Now, here's your host, Chris Elias. Good morning, everyone. Welcome again to Transformative Experts. I'm Chris Elias. I'm your host today, and we've got a really great and fun show for you. Uh, joining me today is Paul Venn. Paul is a longtime friend. He's the CEO of um, Hudson Rouge, a local um, but large marketing uh, communications company. Uh, work with big brands, including Lincoln and a number of others. Um, Paul, how are you today? Hey, Chris. I'm great. Uh, thank you for having me. Oh, it's really good to have you here. So, uh, tell 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 the the um, listener base. I mean, you know, many don't know who you are. Tell the lis- listener base a little bit about your company and what you do. Uh, sure. So, uh, I work for uh, as Chris, as you said, I, I work for Hudson Rouge, and Hudson Rouge is actually a marketing communications agency. Which, if you were to go back uh, a decade, we'd all be calling it an advertising agency. So, you know, right there, we can talk about transformation of, of, of that particular title and, and, and why that's the case. But uh, Bruce is part of a much bigger company uh, listed on the London Stock Exchange and the NASDAQ called WPP. And WPP is, um, you know, the world's leading marketing services company. So, you know, I run a, a division within WPP uh, and my company, Hudson Rouge, is so named, by the way, uh, because um, we set up the company in New York, near the Hudson River, and also in Detroit, uh, near the Rouge River. So um, somebody came up with the bright idea of calling it Hudson Rouge. We we opened an office in Shanghai last year, but I'm not looking to add another river to the name of the agency. Everybody will be pleased to know. Um, But yeah, that's what the company does. And and our major client is the Lincoln Car Company, which, as uh, all your listeners will know, I'm sure, is the premium luxury division of Ford Motor Company. Excellent, excellent. So, uh, so no Shanghai River, huh? You're not going well, to Yangtze or any of those to the name. The, there, there is one, but but uh, I fear it would uh, it would be the straw that broke the camel's back. <laughs> well, very good, very good. And uh, you know, uh, tell us how you got to your position. You don't you don't just uh, you know graduate from school and become a CEO. You you've had a really interesting history um, in the advertising world and working your way up to where you are today. So tell us a little bit about Paul Venn and, and how you got to where you are. So let me start with my mother. Um, she, she wanted me to become a banker and I had absolutely zero interest in that. Not, not that I have many banker friends, by the way, um, all of them good people, but it was just not what I felt I was, um, wanting to do. And the reason she wanted me to go into banking was because she saw it as a very safe, uh, safe business. And of course, the way it's worked out mom is that it's not a particularly safe business for people because it's all been automated. I'd probably be out of a job by now if I'd uh, been my local bank manager. But um, I I decided that uh, creativity was going to be something that I was going to be more interested in. And I got talking to a copywriter one day when I was in my final year at university. And uh, he, he just engaged me. And I ended up talking with him for, you know, 30, 40 minutes about advertising and I realized that I could be in a creative industry although I'm not creative per se I'm not an artist I'm not a writer in that sense but I could be in a creative industry and that would be that would satisfy my soul uh, that's what I thought and that was uh, it was 40 years ago now and I, I've never had a dull moment ever since so it was really what a lot of people tell you to do when you're set in a career, which was listen to your heart. What 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 are you passionate about? I didn't know I was passionate about it until he engaged me, and then I thought, yeah, this is something I could really get interested in. So I started out a very small ad agency uh, in London, and as many of us do in careers, whether it's advertising or something else, worked my way through a number of different companies, getting different experience in different sectors. So you know the um, uh, finance sector, strangely enough, given that I didn't want to be a banker, um, uh, you know, drink sector, car sector, um, uh, packaged goods sector, massively important to do some learning in that area because these guys are great marketers, you know, the Heinzes of this world, the Colgates of this world, the Unilevers of this world. Uh, uh, but it, it was the car industry that kind of sucked me in. And I started working 
uh, in an agency in London for Ford Motor Company and really found another passion there, which was, uh, you know, the car industry. And so over the last 20 years or so, I've really focused on the car industry within marketing communications. And that's how I ended up 13 years ago being sent to Detroit by my company to um, run, you know, our business out here. So, um, you know, you've said marketing communications a few times, and, and obviously it's a modern term. Um, you know, we used to say advertising agency, and I don't know if anybody uses that term anymore, and, and maybe younger people will understand it, but those of us who've been around for a while um, wonder, is there any really, what's, what's the difference between the two? What's, what's happened from advertising to marketing? What's been the shift? So it, it is a good question, and I alluded to that um, nomenclature in, in the uh, in, in, at the beginning of this chat. I think it's simply about the way in which the business has, invo- has evolved. If you think about the time when ad agency would have been a fair descriptor of what it is that we do, you had, you know, television and radio, right, and, yeah. and print. Yeah. And, and that's what you did. You, you created advertisements, you'd created TV commercials. It was very linear in, in that way. What's happened over the years is we've seen other channels opening up. So the great Lester Wonderman in the late 50s started talking about direct marketing. And that became a form of communication. And and it wasn't advertising as such. It was it was a different type of um, touch point with, with, with the customer. And so we had a broaden you know, kind of what it was. We had ad agencies and then we had direct marketing agencies. And then those kind of blended together in in some. Then, of course, fast forward. uh, Well, the media landscape is so complex these days. Um, So many different ways of talking with your customer. And notice I say um, talking with as in communicating with rather than advertising too. Uh, and uh, and all the digital platforms, for example, the great example of the way in which the landscape has changed. And with that comes, I think, a, a requirement to kind of broaden the sense of what it, you do. An advertising agency doesn't really cover that properly. Sure. Marketing communications agency does, but I think even then we're beginning to transition one more step in our business. And certainly within WPP, we're doing this we're thinking of ourselves as more of a creative transformation agency, um, which is, or rather, I should say, transformation, uh, creative transformation company, uh, because we are more and more uh, being engaged by CEOs, chief marketing officers, uh, you know, uh, chief um, technology officers, chief information officers, on the need that most businesses have these days, which is, how do we create now? And so our skill set, which is part creative and and part understanding the marketing technology available to us, is really relevant today for all of those uh, individuals, not just for the CMO. And so we're talking about the idea that uh, creativity exists all the way through business, not just in the advertising, and that that is going to be a part of the transformation that many, many companies need today. Yeah, I, you know, somebody said to me the other day, it's all marketing, right? I mean, it's 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 an old, you know, term, but it's there is kind of a truth to it that, you know, what is really sales and and you know, what's the difference between sales and marketing and the messaging and all of that. Yeah. And a lot has really transformed. I mean, you know, it's funny because, you know, you, you say advertising and, and I think, again, in today's world, you know, it's a little bit different than when, when I was growing up in the business world. Our advertising agency, we knew how it worked and we, we had a great relationship and we were talking about how to market to customers, but it was really about the advertising system. But I think even today, you know, you know maybe some of the younger listeners who may not have, have that experience of, of the older advertising, you know, the, the images we get are John Hamm, an admin, right? And, and this kind of crazy world that probably existed at some level out there um, but <laughs> it, it did exist in some level out there I, I think I just missed it when I came in yeah I, I you know the 80s were a bit wild compared to the 90s and certainly compared to anything after the 90s but I think the real uh, John Hamm were the were the 50s and the 60s and 70s uh, and so I, I think I just missed that wave 
Yeah, not, not too many martini lunches and all of that. But, yeah. okay, but setting that aside, I mean, but what's changed, though? I mean, one of the things that's changed is how people come in and what they do. And, um, you know, we talk a lot about millennials, and and, and I, I think we, as business people, have a habit of labeling generations, right? You had the baby boomers, you know, and blah, 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 yeah. blah. Now we got these millennials, and we try to, we almost use it as an excuse. But there are shifts that occur because of what's happening in the world at the time. So, you know, back in your day, when you, when you started, I mean, a startup job might have looked like some level for you if it was non if it was non creative. Creative being defined as somebody who's either in the writing or art departments, and for non creative, coming up kind of through account management. Is that did you start with account management, and what it, what yeah. did that look like? And then what about somebody who comes in today? What does it look like for them? Yeah. So there was something you said earlier. I just want to pick up on before I go 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 to that, if yeah. I may. Yeah. I I loved when you started talking about you know kind of um you know what what it, what is what is marketing you know and how's it different from sales and so on and so forth. I've always had this thing in my head that marketing is business and business is marketing, right? All all marketing is business. I mean, what you are trying to do is bring something to market for a defined group of people that they are willing to pay a fair price for, and that with a bit of luck and a following wind, you have the business savvy to do that profitably over many years. You know, taking into account changing conditions and uh, changing trends and also com- competition. So marketing is, is fundamentally business, right? And it's interesting, it often gets degraded to, oh, that's, that's the stuff, you, that, that, that's the pictures, right? That's the pictures and the words and the and the the TV commercials. That that's marketing. And you go, no, actually, if, if that's your view of marketing, you, you're going to come unstuck pretty quickly. You, it, it it is absolutely at the core of business. Thank you for permitting me just to, to kind of put put that in there because no, it's important. And, and it it ties it ties to your point about you know where did I start in the business and what did I realize early on about advertising? Yeah, no, it's, it's really important. I mean, you know, we we think of. Like you said, people think of tactics, and now now they say, well, it's all social media. But again, it's I think it's what's important is this really deep underlying piece and figuring out the message. There's there's a whole piece on branding. I, I think we're going to go a long time today, right? So I mean, there's all the stuff that comes together. But I love your point that marketing is business. I mean, I, I like to think that every time I go out there, every time I'm talking to somebody, every time, you know, not, I'm not talking about the times when I'm actually pitching work. I mean, that might seem obvious that that's sales or marketing, but we're always marketing. Yeah. We should always be thinking about the relevance of what it is that we think we're selling, yeah. right? How, how good is that? Whom are we selling? it? Is that changing? Are there needs? changing um what is our competition doing how are we differentiating from our competition maintaining our advantages and so on and so forth and it 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 is therefore what i discovered pretty quickly was that the discipline i entered in which was the general management account management looking after the clients taking the brief from them bringing it back to the agency getting the work done and so on that's the classic view of account management and i realized pretty quickly that oh boy um I don't want to be a 40-year-old account director defined in that way. I wish some clients said that actually, you know, and, and, and it struck, it struck me as being such a truth. I had to, I had to learn more about the client's business if I was going to be truly useful to them. And there was probably a hundred other people who could go to their office, take the brief, take it back to the agency, have the guys do the work on it, bring it back, show them some pictures. And that, and that as, as much as all of that still I'm passionate about, translating a really good brief into really good work and seeing the impact it can have in the marketplace, I'm more and more over the years as I was growing through the business, realizing that your true relevance uh, in account management is whether you can actually make a difference for that client on their business as, as a whole. Yes, maybe the ticket of entry, maybe in a sense the most important thing initially is the quality of your advertising, the quality of your communications, be that in advertising or direct marketing or you know, in social media these days. Yes, yes, yes. But you know, what are you really doing to contribute to the discussion around the challenges that business faces? Uh, and so many of our clients these days are facing huge challenges. I'll use the D word here, disruption. Uh, and, you know, one of my 
big clients is Lincoln, uh, the Lincoln Car Company. And uh, they, like anybody else in automotive, are facing huge structural changes in, in the business. And they're having to respond to those changes. And we are doing nothing for them if we're not helping them respond to those changes. And that's way beyond the advertising. Right. Right. I, it's so much to it. And and do you believe in, you know, I'm sorry, we've got about one minute left before we break to commercial, but, but sure. quickly, do you believe that, that, that um, our younger people today who, who are interested in, in whether they call it social media marketing, whatever it is in, in the business programs in school, are they being taught properly? Are they coming out prepared for this or are they still be learning some of the older structures? So, uh, you know, I, I don't know to be honest, the detail around that, but I'm going to find out pretty soon because I have a daughter who's in business school and, you know, I'll, I'll, she's just a freshman and I'll find out. I, I suspect I, the way I'd like to answer that question is to say, even if they are, some fundamentals exist and fundamentals are really important in industry and certainly in, and, and certainly in, in marketing. But um, if you don't beyond those fundamentals about um, the business more broadly, I think that's where you come unstuck. So it may not be the teacher's issue. It may be the, uh, the, the, the student's issue. Absolutely understood. Well, uh, time flies. We're already up to our first break. So stay tuned. We'll be back in just a couple of minutes with my guest, Paul Venn. America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn. True results happen where culture meets execution. The Execution Culture, co-written by our host Chris Elias, is designed to make your company smarter, faster, and stronger by sharing real-world advice on culture, leadership, and execution. It's time to transform your business with the help of the Execution Culture. The book is available now on Amazon. Click the link on the show page. Is your company or team struggling to achieve the results you would like? Optimize your life, your team, and your organization through clarity, purpose, and action. At Mexicute, we have over 100 years of combined experience leading organizations and coaching individuals to achieve their vision. We design a customized approach to ensure successful execution and optimize your results. Connect better. Grow better. For a free consultation with Chris Elias, visit nexecutegroup.com. That's N-E-X-E-C-U-T-E group.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. This is Transformative Experts with Chris Elias. If you have a question or a comment about the show, please send an email to listener at transformativeexperts.com. Now, back to Transformative Experts. And we're back with Paul Venn. Paul, uh, before we went to the break, you you said something uh, that I thought was really interesting, and it's a word that's getting used a lot, and sometimes it's even kind of misconstrued, and there's a lot of ways of looking at it. You used, used as you called it, the D word. You used the word disruption. From your standpoint, from the world of marketing and um, sales and advertising and communications and social media and all the stuff that now rolls into the things that, that, that you do, and when you think in terms of, of messaging and what organizations are do, what, what does disruption mean from your standpoint? Uh, so, I, I, yeah, I did, I did use the, the D word, the disruption. Word. And the reason I said it that way is because, you know, it gets bandied about, right, a lot. Uh, and, and I understand that. It, it's, it is real. It's out there. Companies are being disrupted. So how are they being disrupted? What's disrupting them? Is there a kind of unifier there? Uh, the one that I think I would, a light on more than any other is technology is disrupting the way many companies are operating, uh, changing the way they're operating or forcing them to think differently because maybe a competitor has adopted uh, some technology that allows them to do different things uh, to create more value and so on and so forth. Um, we're seeing that in many, many different industries. Um, is you, uh, is the disruption, sorry to interrupt, but is the disruption yeah. occurring because they're just not prepared or are they not being proactive enough to own it? Are they resisting that type of technology? What, what's happening, do you think? So I think 
that there is certainly an element of of what you you, you just touched on there, which is resistance. But you know, let's assume that you're. Uh, well, let me give you an, a, a hypothetical here. Imagine that you are the world's most famous watch brand right now, right? Which I, I don't know what the listeners are thinking of, but but I'm thinking of um, a brand like Rolex. It is an absolutely fabulous business. Uh, they are um, uh, they are such a well-run organization, and they have their um, their pricing is about as good as you can get, and their um, the demand for their products is still extremely strong. But if you're sitting uh, as the chief marketing officer of Rolex, you're probably wondering what the iPhone uh, or the uh, the Apple Watch, I should say, is going to do to your business, and you know the Samsung equivalent, and the fact that young people are growing up wearing those as opposed to wearing a Rolex. Now, not too many people can afford a Rolex early on, but maybe we all aspired to that when we were younger. And um, I've no doubt many, you know, of the older listeners are, are wearing Rolex watches now. I think the question is, you know, if, if they put themselves in a younger pair of shoes, would, would they end up wearing wearing the Rolex now? And that's the question I think that, you know, a brand like Rolex is facing. Well, okay, but but so so I'll, I'll, I'll push back just a little bit here. Is the question really about for for a company like Rolex, let me ask the question this way: Is it really about always ensuring that you're staying up with quote unquote the times, or is it about knowing your brand? So here's a, here's an example, personal example. So a competitor of Rolex is Tag, right? Tag Heuer or Hoyer, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah, and they've yeah. been around a long time. Swiss company, very very good, mm-hmm. and they recently released a um, a digital watch, yeah. a smartwatch, and um, you know it it works with a Google. Um, system and it allows you, you could put any tag face on it you want. Really cool. I went out. I went out and bought one. I thought, okay, this is a great way to get all the tag watches, right? All in one bundle. Doesn't work. Right. They, so, they failed to execute, and I think they got away from what they do best. The watch keeps the charge for hours, not even a day. Um, it's. I. It just. It doesn't. It. It never stays synchronized with a phone. It doesn't work with an Apple phone <laughs> worth anything. So you know, at what point do you just say, well, you know what, we like Rolex. We're a luxury brand. There's a place for us as jewelry. You know, and and we're going to stick with that. Yeah, I. I think you're. You make a really, really good point. There's. There's no doubt that. Um, understanding who you are and the market you serve is important. But I think, you know, a brand like Rolex, and I'm picking on Rolex yeah, here in this conversation, yeah. there could be a hundred others. Um, we're seeing also in luxury that trends are changing. So not only is the technological disruption potentially, right? I take your point there. It may not may not happen, but potentially happening. I, I bet they're thinking about it. Um, but there's also another trend out there that they need to be thinking about, which is, more and more people are um, are defining the luxury that they want as experience rather than a thing, right? Yes. So we're seeing yes. some people say, I'd rather take the family to the Galapagos island, Islands and spend my $15,000 that way than the watch or the handbag yes. or the car. And and I think when you see the confluence of, of, of trends and potential competitors driven by technology or some other form. That's when you as a chief marketing officer, as a CEO, um, as a senior person in that company have to start thinking a little bit differently than you have been thinking because your market could be changing. And I think there are many examples out there of markets that have changed and, and those companies did not see it coming. Kodak is a classic yes. example, right? Yeah, it, yeah. It got... You know, you want to talk about what is the definition of disruption. Well, let's not go to a dictionary. Let's just go straight to what happened there, right? Um, They didn't see it coming. It came, and within a matter of a a, a few small years, they were history. Uh, And and that, you know, that's almost unthinkable. It would have been unthinkable a decade before that. And so I think that is... You know, if you want a definition, that's a definition of somebody getting disrupted out of business. And I don't know that story intimately, but I would imagine inside that corporation, there were naysayers. Uh, so a group of, no, don't worry, we're so strong, we, we're never going to be overturned. I would imagine there was a group in the company that was 
a little bit more aware of the potential for being overturned, but couldn't get out of their own way. And then there was a small group of people who said, oh, hell, I see what's coming. I see this tsunami about to hit the beach. I'm out of here. Yeah. Right. Or were so troublesome that they got taken out of the company by the others. A friend of mine actually worked for Kodak. He was a regional sales manager here in this area. And um, as a matter of fact, well, you you, you may even know him. I won't name names on the show, but... um, but he was one of those ones that, that really was trying to raise the flag during that period of time and ended up leaving out of frustration and um, went on to a digital company. And it, mm-hmm. it really, you know, it was, it was the, the, the um, predictor of the ultimate yeah. doom. Yeah. And, and, and I, I, don't, I don't recite that story with any glee because I think there is a thousand other companies out there wrestling with the same problem. Oh, yeah. And they... It, it is incredibly difficult. This is why I, what I talk about when, when I think, when I think about when I think about disruption, is, are we disrupting our, ourselves enough? Are we creating the conditions inside the company that is potentially going to be disrupted? Are we creating conditions inside the company that will disrupt and overturn the established ways of doing things? Are we modernizing our structure? Our processes, our skill sets at the rate we need to, to defend ourselves from what could happen to us and what we're seeing happen to lots of other companies. Are we choosing to invest in areas um, that will be additive to our business and help us into markets that are growing quicker and that will help us um, keep the company profitable under attack from you know, changing trends or indeed, you know, our established set of competitors who may well be transforming themselves. So I think that for me is fascinating because at that point you realize you have, you have, you really have to take a a company of people and that's what a company is. It's a company of people with an established culture, some of whom are going to be very resistant. Some don't know how to change and that's okay because, not you know not every if you've been working in a company for 30 years it's very difficult to change and and i think you know we would all understand it but you somehow got to get that company moving in a different direction and that is a company of people you've got to get people moving in a different direction and i think that takes huge talent and huge skill and that's why you know the companies that manage to do that and the ceos that are running those companies should be paid huge amounts of money because they've done virtually the equivalent of walking on water. Yeah, I, I know a few CEOs that would agree with you on that last point in particular. Um, you know, it, it's an interesting, it's really an interesting way of looking at it because, you know, obviously, you know, disruption has become such a big, big word. I mean, every client I work with is talking about trying to figure out what they can disrupt and this and that. But you know what? They don't talk about internal disruption. They talk about the challenges. They talk about the need. We know that we need to get to, to have some level of change for the world and what's going on. But, but, but to really actually approach it from, instead of looking at an outward disruption or an industry disruption, what about an internal disruption? And I wonder if, if they would openly speak about that in their organization. So from our standpoint, culture is really driven by messaging and what we're trying to do. And I think it's very, very important to be out there talking to your staff and your, your people about you know, the culture all the time, always reinforcing it. So if, if we got out there and spoke about, look, you know what we need for, we have a need for internal disruption so we can set ourselves up for the future and say, you know what, it's going to be uncomfortable. Let's acknowledge that, but change is necessary. I wonder if they'd get more people coming along. Yes. I think one of, one of the wonderful things about the 21st century and maybe the latter part of the 20th century in, in corporate, in the corporate world was a recognition that transparency is really important. And we know that as human beings, right? We know that when we're open with a friend, when we show our vulnerability, uh, that friend is a closer friend as a result of that. They're a good friend, right? They don't abuse the information you give them. Um, and and you you have a deeper, richer conversation. And, the, and, and, and I think the same is true for companies, because as I've just said, they're a company of people. And so the more you can explain the mission the more you can engage people to partake in that mission, and you will engage them more if you tell them more about it. But of course, the old school way was it was kept in the boardroom. And 
mandates were handed out, do this, do that, do the other. People didn't really why they were doing it. They didn't feel particularly inclined to do it because they didn't understand it. Uh, and I think these days, I think with with a, a, a more open spirit to companies, uh, it's it's enabling that kind of transformation to take place. But you you really have to go the whole way. I mean, you have to talk about why our mission today is different than it was yesterday. What are the what are the ways we need to upskill? How are we going to do that? Uh, it, it's kind of you know reminds me of that that moment in the um, Tom Cruise movie. You know. He's the um, he's the agent and he's walked out of his firm and he turns around to everybody and says, you know, who's with me? <laughs> you know, right? yeah. And you've got to bring people along with you. If you don't, you're standing there. Well, you, yes, you, you're not inspiring the people in the way that you need to. And to do that, to repeat myself, you, 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 you have to be open with them. You have to explain the mission. You have to bring them along. Yeah. And so would you would you say, uh, you know, along this thinking that. Um, establishing, creating, and understanding what your internal disruption must be is actually the first step to creating an industry disruption. Because again, everybody's out there trying to do it. And let's face it, you, not everybody can be a disruptor. And it's kind of who's first to the party. And I've seen companies have false starts before and go through yeah. all the stuff that never goes anywhere because they don't get people inside around it. Yeah, I, I think you're you're right. Um, I think you, you do have to, I mean, you have to have a the leadership of the company has to have a uh, an ambition. Where where are, where are they going? Right. So they have to know what the ambition. That's what I call this kind of the the th- in my head. You know the three A's. Right. You know what what's their ambition? Um, uh, what are they going to um, What are they going to do to establish where they are? So it's audit, ambition. Uh, and then the other the other word is the agile word, right? So are we going to be agile as we start working our way to that ambition? So again, old old processes in companies used to be let's cross all the T's and dot all guys on this plan before we get going. In the modern world, it is about agility, and I know I won't be saying anything that the listeners haven't heard before. But I think if you package it in the way that I've just done, it gives you a framework for thinking about how you might start a transformation in your own company. You know, what what is the threat we're we're facing? Um, uh, auditing your own ability to push back against that threat, conceiving a vision or an ambition about where you need to be to really solidify your defence and indeed to grow, and then figuring out how you're going to be agile at adopting the things you need to adopt, the new behaviors, the new processes, the new people, whatever it is, how are you going to be agile to get that underway sooner rather than later? So uh, for me, when I think about it, I I think about those three things. What's my ambition? Have I audited what I've currently got? A real understanding of how I'm different from my ambition. And am am I agile enough to get myself from A to B? Uh, and yeah, so I think that, that that for me is is kind of how I think about internal uh, transformation. Yeah, and so uh, again, before we have to go to our next break, but one one other maybe quick question is then you know as in your role as CEO, I I know that that sometimes CEOs of organizations like yours don't have a lot of direct interaction with customers, but you do. Um, just at least your real big customers. Um, but how do you see your role as a, a marketing communications agency in helping them understand those things? And and how do you tee it up? And then after the break, we'll get into more depth on it. Yeah, I, it, it's a really good question because I think if you start too much with the vision and ambition, you can lose people um, because they're dealing with day-to-day problems. So I think the way I'm trying to do it with my clients is frame up a day problem that we can solve um, by beginning to transform. So make it bite-sized chunks and then at the right time fold in the grander vision um, and so that they can see that they can get there. They don't have to like, oh my God, how am I going to fund that? Or how do I how do I take all of that and do it? No, just break it down into chapters, show that you're solving pro- problems along the way, but you're just accelerating. Uh, and I think that's that's the way I'm beginning to think is a smart way to do it. Excellent. Excellent. Okay. Uh, well, it's, it's time for, uh, for our next break. So stay tuned and we'll be back one more time and with Paul.
Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Is your company or team struggling to achieve the results you would like? Optimize your life, your team, and your organization through clarity, purpose, and action. At Mexicute, we have over 100 years of combined experience leading organizations and coaching individuals to achieve their vision. We design a customized approach to ensure successful execution and optimize your results. Connect better. Grow better. For a free consultation with Chris Elias, visit MexicuteGroup.com. That's M-E-X-E-C-U-T-E Group.com. True results happen where culture meets execution. The Execution Culture, co-written by our host, Chris Elias, is designed to make your company smarter, faster, and stronger by sharing real-world advice on culture, leadership, and execution. It's time to transform your business with the help of the Execution Culture. The book is available now on Amazon. Click the link on the show page. it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. This is Transformative Experts with Chris Elias. If you have a question or a comment about the show, please send an email to listener at transformativeexperts.com. Now, back to Transformative Experts. And we're back one last time with Paul Venn. Paul, we were laughing over the break. Um, you know, for all of you that are out there, um, this is obviously uh, being uh, occurring during COVID. And so un- unlike having the studio where we can have great sound, everything's being done remotely. And uh, Paul and I are both audiophiles. We both love really crisp, clear audio. And that's just something we don't get doing these things via, you know, audio feeds through the internet like like today. It's just, you know, it's, it's, it's not perfect and kind of drives us both a little crazy, doesn't it, Paul? It, it certainly does. I, I just hope that um, not too many words are dropping out there, Chris. Yeah, well, only the important ones, Paul. So, but we'll we'll <laughs> we'll, we'll get back to that. Uh, okay. So so before we went to the break, you know, we were talking. One of the words that you you used again being used a lot is is the term agile. And um, you know, you work with some very established, long term, um, you know, years old companies, right? And so so Lincoln is an example. Um, Lincoln's been around a long time and they've created a great company. They've got a great culture. Um, you know, when, when other U.S. automotives were struggling, they were able to work through without getting, you know, outside help. And, you know, you know, that organization's done really a, a phenomenal job through the years of, of being a leader. And, um, and, you know, are they agile? I mean, did they have bad habits to break? I mean, how does a company that big you know, with, with, with so many people and, and I'm sure some egos and some other things are in play. I mean, every big organization has it. How does a company like that, you know, develop habits of being agile? So, uh, you know, I, I, I think there's a, there's a bit of being prepared to rethink things that we talked about in, in the other segments of this interview. And then there's also an element of really being prepared to focus and try and understand who you are and what you are in the world. And what I admire so much about what Lincoln did is they took a brand that had, I don't think I'm giving away any secrets here, fallen on hard times, right? And this is a brand that was the US's leading luxury automobile in the 1990s, right? I think 1990, 91, they sold more luxury vehicles than any other brand. Uh, Subsequently, that uh, dissipated and and uh, they gave off market share to you know a lot of the Europeans, uh, and you know they found themselves um, several years ago with a very um, a smaller, less profitable business than they used to have. And there were many corporate reasons for that. Ford Motor Company had invested in um, some other premium brands, you know Jaguar, Land Rover, Aston Martin, and so on. And so there was a corporate focus in those areas, and not necessarily on Lincoln. What happened after Ford Motor Company divested themselves of those other brands? Um, they were able to put the focus back on Lincoln. So one of the one of the things is, you know, if, if you're going to have a business, if you're going to have a brand, if you're going to um, maintain a brand, it needs nourishment. And and the first nourishment it needs is thought, which is what is this brand in the late 20th century? 
um, the early 21st century. What are we going to do with it that is going to make it um, a sustainable, profitable brand for the Ford Motor Company business? So I think the first thing they did was understand that they had to put some focus into it. The second thing they did, I think, which was absolutely brilliant, is they were prepared, prepared to rethink very hard what the brand stood for. And in doing that, they managed to create something that is distinctive in the marketplace and for which a group of people are happy to pay good money for. And that's why the brand is now growing again and finding its feet uh, and actually is also enable, able to, um, to uh, go to China and uh, enjoying tremendous success in China because it has a clear proposition and it has a, a, a differentiated um, uh, stance in the marketplace. It's different from Lincoln is not trying to be like the Germans. And many people have tried to copy the Germans. Um, and that is not working. If you are an American brand, you are not a German brand, you don't have those associations. And you're never going to be able to buy your way to those associations. What you have to do is look inside and find out who you are, and then emphasize the good of that. And, and, and Lincoln did that brilliantly um, a few years ago. And they baked that into their engineering DNA and their design DNA. And really what, what they discovered is that the, the heart and soul of the Lincoln is brilliant comfort. Um, the, and if you look at the vehicles today, they have invested in the interiors of those vehicles, in the ride and handling of those vehicles to make them supremely comfortable. They're not interested in lapping the Nürburgring faster than the Germans. They're interested in producing a kind of opulent American luxury that a sufficient number of people out there are willing to pay a fair price for are likely to come loyal to uh, and therefore produce a sustainably profitable business. And I think what Ford Motor Company did there was absolutely brilliant. We helped them along the way, defining that um, that positioning in the marketplace. And we brought it to life with associations that are going to stick in people's mind. Our use of Matthew McConaughey and the advertising is very different for the category. We don't show cars lapping, as I say, the Nürburgring, and we don't show a lot of stereotypical car advertising imagery. We've done something different. We've made their advertising dollars go further because of that. So I think that I'm enamored of what Ford did. I'm enamored of what they enabled us to do with the Lincoln brand. And I think that one of the reasons that they have been successful and the brand is now um, getting back to its former glory um, is because they were prepared to take a hard look at it and they were prepared to make decisions and they were prepared to decide what they were not as much as what they were. And, you know, there's an old saying in our business that all strategy is sacrifice. Yeah. You have yeah. to you have to determine what you're not um, as much as what you are. And they, I think they did that brilliantly. Well, and, and it helps that they have, they've got great leadership over there that, that, uh, you know, it's hard to take that hard look and, and, and answer those questions really hard to say, what should we not be? You know, it's, it's, you know, it's one, it's one of the, it's one of the toughest things for any company to do for any marketing director. Uh, and, you know, to, to try and be all things to all people is of course an impossibility, right? But right. we all try and do it. And what we must try not to do is that. We must try and find, a, in marketing, you must try and find a group of people to whom you can appeal in a strong way. And with all the people on the planet, there's probably gonna be enough of them to sustain your business. You do not need to appeal to everybody. And the minute you try and do that, you are flouting one of the laws of marketing and as yeah. we discussed in an earlier segment marketing is business so you're not you're not really practicing business in the right way if you're trying to appeal to everybody you will never do it you are you are going to be mediocre uh and that is not a good place to be yeah yeah and uh you know again applaud the the leaders at ford to to really hunker down and focus i mean i don't think i've ever heard anybody over there say we want to be the largest car company in the world you know, I, I, it's, it's, it's really, it's always, you know, you think about messages, even going back to many, many years. I mean, I can remember probably the first Ford message I remember when I would start paying attention to those things Ford is, you know, quality is job one. I mean, how many years ago was that? And mm -hmm. I think, I think that, that they've always been a company that's been focused on, you know, putting out the best possible product, you know, for their target customer. 
And, you know, maybe they've had their ups and downs. Everybody has. But again, it, I think it takes some real leadership to step back and recognize it's what you need. And that kind of gets us to maybe one other topic that we might have time to address, and that's competitive advantage, defining and understanding it. So we talk about disruption, but it's also what sets you apart, what, what, what you know, what draws people. Um, tell us a little bit from your standpoint, again, what's competitive advantage? Maybe share an example of, to, of how you've helped an organization, could be any organization, really kind of go from not understanding your competitive advantage to determining what it is and, and marketing that. Yeah, look, I, I think that the, the the one that I speak most fluently to is the one that I just talked about, which which is Lincoln. I, I think that we and they defined a competitive advantage and it was born of the brand inside. What what you know, when you looked at and I'm sure many of the listeners will be familiar with this, but when we looked at a heat map um, of what did people instinctively say about Lincoln, right? Once you got past the word president, as in President Lincoln, um, or past, you know, our use of Matthew, because his name would come up occasionally, um, you got the word that was pretty much front and center, big in that heat map was comfort. And, and so I think that we defined with them the idea that modernizing comfort um, was an interesting idea. And we, got, we, we looked at a lot of what was going on in, in, in the world around us. And we looked at brands that had to transform themselves. And one of the brands we looked at, and I, I give um, Kumar Gohotra, um, uh, who um, was at the time the president of Lincoln and now in a much bigger role within Ford Motor Company, give him a lot of credit here. He went off and studied a lot of these brands. And one of the brands he looked at was Burberry. Right, and Burberry is a very interesting, you know, classic British brand, which in its heyday was, you know, known for the trench coat and the the plaid, the Burberry plaid. Right, that brand started, that business started to decline because it, it allowed itself to the imagery around it to be kind of fusty, stodgy Britishness, and nobody really was interested in that, and especially in a world where there were lots of other luxury brands sprouting up, and what Burberry did so brilliantly was they looked at themselves, tried to figure out what they were, what they could be, and they realized that they were fundamentally British and they were never going to change that. They weren't suddenly going to become, you know, a Parisian fashion house or an Italian fashion. They were British. So a bit like we worked with comfort, they worked with Britishness. And what they did was they um, they took advantage of a movement at the time that was known as Cool Britannia, um, which was a younger, more vibrant um, type of Britishness and they adopted that uh, as an idea. They put Kate Moss in a Burberry plaid bikini and not quite overnight but very rapidly people started looking at them differently. So I, I admire what they did and then I admire Kumar and, and, and Lincoln for looking at that and saying, aha, that's interesting. You know, if they can transform by doing a modernized version of what they are at their heart, we might be able to do the same thing. And, and, and we did. And so what, we, what we're looking at now is we're looking at a form of comfort, which is not just the seat you sit on, but your well-being, right? And so we're, we're piggybacking a trend that's out there, which is to do with health and well-being uh, and the idea of stress. And if you, you know, it's an interesting way of looking at things, actually. All brands ought to have an enemy that they rail against. And, and Lincoln's enemy, I think, is stress. If we can produce a less stressed driver, that's got benefits for them and benefits for the world, right? Yeah. Less stress drivers is a good thing. So, um, so I think I, I'd look at I'd look at Burberry as a great example of that, and I'd also, of course, look at um, my Lincoln client as a great example of that. It's you know, looking at your enemy is really interesting. I love the way that that you just posed it because. You know, when you first said that, the first thing that, that came to my mind, okay, Lincoln's enemy, is it Cadillac? Is it Mercedes? But no, it's stress. I mean, I, that, that takes a whole different perspective to really look at what's the problem we're solving for. So, you know, um, the, the small company, the small business today, the entrepreneurial business, you know, maybe even just getting started up or, or maybe somewhat established, the company that can't afford to hire WPP, um, you know, or, or Hudson Rouge, uh, what would be, you know, if, if they're trying to figure things out, what would be your first uh, bit of advice? What's the first thing they should focus on and what, you know, what should they be clear about? It's difficult to answer the question without really knowing the, the, the individual company that, that, that has, you know, 
its own issues or its own sure, opportunities. Sure. So, but one of the things that I do think, uh, and this speaks to a, to something we touched on in one of the earlier segments, which is, you know, how, how do we how do we modernize? What is it that we're looking to modernize in our business? And if I think about a lot of and and we use this word carefully, advertisers. So these are companies that are out there spending advertising money. They might they might assume that the way they've spent it in the past is is doing well for them. They might even have some data that tells them that that, that things are going well. But but it's quite likely um, that they haven't taken advantage of all the data that's available to help them do it better. And to help them take advantage of the data, they haven't got the right marketing technologies in place to help them. So two of the big areas in modern marketing communications is tech and data. And and I think that one of the questions you have to ask, if you're spending half a million dollars, a million, million and a half, or even 20 or 30 million dollars, well, certainly if you're spending 20 or 30 million dollars, you need to understand how that money is is working, right? And we have huge advantages these days over the early 20th century marketers because we have a lot of data and it can tell us an awful lot about who our customers are, who our potential customers are, where they live, what their household income is, how many times they visited our website. Uh, even if they're looking at buying a competitive product, we know that and we can use that. And, and I think that, you know, my first advice, at least uh, to, as it were, a generalized answer to your question would be, have a, have a look at how you're spending your money right now and ask some serious questions about if you know if you know whether it's being spent really effectively or not. Yeah, I, I think that's excellent. Uh, you know, uh, it, it used to be, I think it used to be easier. You know, when we used to buy TV advertising, we would just look at the ratings and you knew how many impressions you got and you paid basically per impression. I mean, those, those were the old days. Now with the internet and everything else, do you really know? And I, I think that, that that is important. And I think that, that not knowing that actually causes people to hesitate on how they spend their money because they really don't know how and do I trust this company I just hired to do my marketing community? How do I know? And, and so, you know, thank you for that. I think that that's excellent sage advice. And... Um, you know, I hate to say it, we're out of time. I mean, there's like 10 more things I want to ask you about, Paul. Would you would you consider coming back on in a future date? Yeah, as, as much as anything, it's been a fantastic conversation. Love talking with you, Chris. And uh, I've enjoyed it. Um, and I would definitely consider coming back on. So just let me know when. I appreciate that. And so, um, you know, anyone, if you have questions, you know, you can certainly reach out to me um, through the, the radio station website. There's a, a, a link on our homepage to, uh, to connect up and send a message. Um, you can also find me, um, you know, at, uh, you know, any of my handles, um, you know, it's the Chris Elias. Um, it's because too many Chris Elias is out there. So, so we highlighted that. But, um, but I want to take a moment and just thank all of you for listening this week. And uh, got another good show coming up next week. So please tune in. And until then, have a great week. Thanks. Thank you for joining Chris Elias for this week's edition of Transformative Experts. We hope you'll tune in again next Monday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. And catch our weekly replay on the Voice America Influencers Channel, Sundays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time. Have a good week.